Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. To Dear Hank and John, or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you DB's advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, my birthday is yep. coming up, and I've decided what I want you to get me. Oh, great. Um, I want you to get me a very small abacus, because I've heard okay. that it's the little things that count. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> I I have to confess I had forgotten that your birthday was coming up and I'll be getting you just to, just as a spoiler alert nothing. No, I told you what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, I just I'll be honest, Hank. I don't really have time to get you a tiny little I, abacus as a as a punchline. No, before I want your hot sauce that you got all excited about. Oh, the Rancho Gordo hot sauce. Yeah. Great. Let me make a note here in the uh, podcast <laughs> notes cuz you'll be looking at those ever again. Have Nikki buy hot sauce <laughs> for Hank. <laughs> and send it to him with a very God. personal card. Okay, I've got that. By the way, Hank, just a spoiler alert, my handwriting is very different yeah. than it used to be. It's much but nicer. It's definitely, it's straight from yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm so glad that we have projects together that bring us close so that we can really have uh, that deep brotherhood. Do you remember like three years ago, I spent an ungodly yes. amount of money promoting your book yeah. all it's over true. America with a huge purchase of billboards that I had, I had. For sure. So I feel like that was my birthday present for a decade. Well, we, we used That's... to do these like really intensive birthday projects on on Vlog Brothers and to the point where like your birthday would be coming up and then I would experience tremendous dread. And so we had yeah, to stop that. It was because I, it would be so much work around whatever the thing yeah, was. Yeah, because you had to like up, the, you got to do better than last year. No. And then eventually, Hank, we had to learn a very important skill in life, yeah. which is we had to learn to, to take it down a notch. Right. And I feel like this ability that we had to learn the hard way, that mm -hmm. sometimes you can't just keep ratcheting it up. You can't oh, just, gosh. You, you, sometimes you just have to take it down a notch. I think there's, I think and, there's kind of only one way to learn it, which is too bad. Yeah. But eventually Hank and I learned that with the birthday project situation getting mm -hmm. completely out of control, 
by the end, I was spending like three or four months of the year preparing for Hank's birthday. <laughs> That's not a sustainable situation. Yeah. Pretty soon it's going to always be Hank's birthday. Yeah. And so we had to take it down a notch. And then we ended up taking it down so many notches that I'm uh, going to send Hank a bottle of hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to love it. This first question comes from Janelle, who asks, Dear John and Hank, ever since I was little, I start shivering anytime I have to pee. I'm very much not a fan of this because whenever my mother sees me shivering, she says loudly, oh, honey, do you have to go pee? Oh, wow. Which is hopelessly embarrassing oh, and wow. never fails to fill me with rage. <laughs> anyway, do other people get the pee shivers? Is there a reason? Hank, please read my name in your best French accent. Janelle. <laughs> he couldn't even finish it. He couldn't even that's, finish that's it. That's how French, always, you, French words always stop before you think they're going to. Oh, you just sort of, they, they just trail yeah. off. I, I kind of agree with that. In fact, I was just recording the Anthropocene Reviewed audiobook and I had to go back and change a bun bunch of the pronunciations oh, yeah. of the French kids' names who discovered the cave paintings at Lascaux. Yeah. Because I didn't do a good job of just being like, Agnès. <laughs> Je and Yeah, uh, they were like, you're you're saying that like an American. And I was like, well, well I've got news wait for till you. they hear me say the other words in the book. <laughs> I have this conversation. If they think that like my French accent was a, was a little flat on Ravidach, wait until they wait until they <laughs> hear me say Florida. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we are America where you can have a, a city named Cairo and just call it Cairo. Yeah, I live pretty close to Versailles, Indiana. Yeah. I... I wonder what is the most like American English sound. Mm. I think it's eh, the eh, yeah. like Orlando. Whenever I hear like Rosiana or someone British say Orlando, I'm always like, oh, wow. I mean, you could make anything sound good. <laughs> Anyways, H Hank, what's up with the pea shivers? <laughs> uh, we're not sure. Oh, now there's a there's a temperature theory, which I just don't buy. I've experienced pea shivers and I don't think that that peeing is making my body cold enough to make me shiver. Also, as Janelle has said, pee shivers can be a thing that happen before you pee. Now, usually they're a thing that happens after or as you pee, mm. but they can just be a thing before. And so this makes me think that it's the signal mix-up theory, um, which is also why sometimes when you see a bright light, you will sneeze, the photic sneeze reflex. It is just that your optic nerve is overloading and it's bleeding over into a different nerve in your face that's making you think that your nose is being tickled, wow. which is wild. Um, and so, so there's, there's the idea, and I don't, I'm, I'm, I can't get into like the nervous system actual explanation of like which nerves are close to each other, and is it the fact that the bladder is shrinking or the blood pressure is dropping or something that is uh, giving you this uh, strange vagus nerve stimulation or something? But there, it, it seems to be a nervous system anomaly. It seems to happen more in some people than in others. But in no people is it a big enough problem that anybody's ever taken the time to study it. So it may, Janelle, you may be like the person who has the most intense pea shivers, which may make you an ideal candidate for scientific research on pea shivers. Or alternately, it doesn't sound like that's what you want, though. Or alternately, Janelle, you could write the great PhD thesis that is just out yeah, there waiting be to you. be written about how the pea shivers help unlock 
a secret of the human nervous system Maybe. that in turn leads yeah, to some scientific breakthrough. And then you win the best Nobel Prize ever, which is the Nobel Prize for getting obsessed with your own pea shivers uh -huh. such that it eventually led to a medical breakthrough. I assume you'd have to like share that Nobel Prize with a couple other people, but still right. like a third of a Nobel Prize is a really good outcome. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I think if you get like a hundredth of a Nobel Prize, that's a win. Now, the, I the, think the broader problem. If you think about like the number of people who have zero Nobel prizes versus the number of people who have like anything <laughs> Any more than zero yeah. Nobel prizes, <laughs> like it's definitely it's great if yeah. you can share one. Yeah. It's almost like I I'm not here to tell the Nobel committee their job, but I feel like they should fraction it out a little more. You know, like really look into who contributed on any level to you, this. You would not be the, the first person to actually make that suggestion, John. I um, know uh, I've I've long thought that's a good idea, not for like the yeah. Nobel Prize in literature. Although even the Nobel Prize in literature should should kind of be split up because it should kind of probably go to editors and to translators, and mm -hmm. you know it, it it shouldn't just go to one writer because nobody's working in isolation. But but the problem here. I don't think is the pee shivers. I think it's the mom who's still asking, oh, honey, do you have to go pee? Yeah. Because I'm I'm the father of a four-year-old. And oftentimes I will pick up on some signals that potty time may be necessary and we may not be near a potty. And so I will say, yeah, hey, honey, do you have to go potty? And sometimes he'll be like, nope. And for him, it's no big deal because he's four. But look, if if once he can figure out in any circumstance, the correct way to go potty. Yeah. I shouldn't have to ask anymore. Well, this sounds like a mom problem. Okay. I, not a I, Janelle problem. I agree with you in the abstract, but we also do not know Janelle's age. There's no hint about Janelle's age here. Janelle could be. Do you four. think Janelle is four? Okay. I think it's Fa Janelle. If, I mean, admittedly, if Janelle is four, she is an this absurdly is very, good writer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we want to take back your science. Yeah. Don't do science. You got to get into yeah. some kind of creative persuasion. Exactly. Field. If you're four, you need to abandon this whole idea of getting your PhD in pea shivering and just go win <laughs> a Nobel Prize the old fashioned way by writing the great American novel. But if you're like, I agree, if you're like 11 or older, it's a little, it's probably not, not, not great. Yeah. It's not. And maybe it's like a teasing thing. Like we don't know the inside of someone else's relationship, Hank, but like, well, yeah, if you don't love it, Chanel, I feel like you can say, I don't, I don't love it, mom. I don't, I don't love it. <laughs> I know that it reminds you of when I was a little <laughs> baby and that you feel nostalgic for those times, but I'm not. And just, just have the thought, have the thought and don't say it out loud. We all do that all the time. This from, oh God, this reminds me of when I was in, in middle school and I told dad to stop calling me booger bear and, 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 and I like, I like tearing up right now thinking about that. Oh, it's just like, and he was like, oh, you're right. You're right. I should oh. have stopped doing that. And like, he was the most understanding of all time. And I'm sure he went back to his room oh, God. and had a good old cry about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're not just growing up. They're also growing away from you. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> Hank, what did we do before glasses? That's Caroline's question. She writes, Dear John and Hank, how did human beings function before the invention of glasses? I find it hard to believe that people of ancient civilizations were able to do much of anything if they couldn't see, and yet here we are. Yeah. Did all the decision makers or anyone with influence just happen to have 20-20 vision? Um, Caroline. Well, so th this is weird. Um... Now, we know for sure that nearsightedness is not like a thing that is a recently ar arisen thing. Didn't just get invented. But it, 
No, like like Aristotle talks about nearsightedness in 350 BCE. Yeah. Um, but like the and I'm sure I'm sure he was wrong about but, it as part of his long and storied history of managing <laughs> to probably identify lots and, lots, bad and lots of things and then be wrong about them. <laughs> yeah. And um, but but it does also seem like nearsightedness not only is becoming more common, but is like more common among like in particular environments. So mm. there are like modern society seems to produce more nearsighted people mm. than uh, than like a hunter gatherer mm. society. And we don't really know what's up with this. Now there's it, it's possible that like some kind of eyesight diversity was helpful. Um and that like you needed people who could do really close up work mm-hmm. and you needed people who could do far off work mm-hmm. and so you wanted a diversity of kinds of eyesight. Mm-hmm. But like we re- we really don't know, and like you could like you obviously couldn't do a bunch of stuff that you would have to do, um, in a, a in a hunter gatherer society or an agricultural. If society. everyone were severely nearsighted, but I yeah. think part of part yeah. of it is that it it's developmental, and so maybe it wasn't yeah. a huge you know like negative evolutionary outcome. I sometimes worry that we get so focused on the ways in which things might have been beneficial that we forget to, uh, you know, give space for the way that things might have just happened and not been that much of a problem. And so there wasn't much evolutionary Mm -hmm. pressure to solve for it. And I can see how it wouldn't be a huge issue for people to get more nearsighted over time because they're probably doing more close up, close to home work by then anyway. You know, they're probably not the people who yep. are out, uh, you know, trying to identify the difference between this herb and that herb in a big field of herbs. They're more like, you know, mortar and pestling, if that's a verb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or And, it, and it, it may also be that, like, it's almost like a, a natural way of dividing labor where you've got right. a, a portion of the population who is, like, intrinsically good at one thing and a portion who yeah. isn't. Because then those people who aren't end up doing things that like are also necessary. Um, but like we don't know. And what what did people do? They dealt with it. Just like how we dealt with not having beds. You know, like stuff was worse. We didn't have toothpaste. Like it was things were worse. People died younger. We were less effective. We were in pain more often. Yeah. Uh, and we couldn't see people's faces from 20 feet away. Like there are all kinds of yeah, reasons also, that life was worse. Also back then. now things are still bad and they're uh, still bad in ways that can get better. And yeah. Yeah. In the same way that we're like, Oh, how did people ever like manage without eyeglasses? I think in 500 years, people would be like, Oh, how did people ever manage without this or that? Like, how did they manage Mm -hmm. thinking that the, you know, human lifespan was 72. Right. Well, I think all the time about like what that thing is going to be. I bet it's going to be better glasses. I mean, I could really, I could use some, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I like my glasses. Better, better eyes generally. But I'm getting I'm like, getting to that point where I uh oh, find too. myself uh keeping keeping yeah. things further away so that I can read them. Mm-hmm. And so I know that the day is Me coming too. when I don't have yeah. one pair of glasses. I have two pairs of glasses that exist inside of one pair of glasses and I would love yep. for science to solve that problem. Yeah, and actually like we kind of haven't. Like there are things there's some things but like we Mostly, have yeah, to solve we that can't problem. solve it for people who have uh, a history of orbital cellulitis. Oh, interesting. Um, I I think that 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 in two hundred years, if all goes well, 
we will look back and be like, I can't believe they just got sick all the time. Yeah. They just got like, like they just got a cold. Yeah. Just, like several times a year, they just feel bad and lie in bed. Right. And they would lose all of this time to being ill. Yeah. And what did they do like when it, they had to like, how did they take care of their children when they were ill? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I ask that question even now. It is really hard. Like it, every, everything becomes harder when you're not well or when, when you're caring for someone who's not well. And yeah, I, it's interesting. I think if everything goes right, that that should be the case in a couple hundred years, that people will be astonished by the prevalence mm-hmm. of illness in our time. Mm-hmm. But I also think they might not understand fully the prevalence of illness in our time because it's such an afterthought in our discourse. Right. I mean, r- not yeah. right now, but it is in general. Like it, Virginia Woolf has this amazing essay from, I don't know, like 150 years, 100 years ago or whatever. Not 150. What? I, I don't know when it's from. It's from like 100 years ago. It's from, <laughs> it wasn't written recently. And in, it's called On Being Ill. And in it, she talks about like, why isn't influenza a subject of epic poems? Like, why don't we mm-hmm. write about this? Why don't we focus on this? And I think there are, I, she explores some of the reasons why, but I, I think there are a lot of reasons why we have just decided that illness is sort of something that we kind of push off to the side so that we can focus on the real stuff, love and mm-hmm. mostly love. Mostly yeah. romantic love, mostly for the first time. That's the main yep. topic. Of- <laughs> <laughs> That's why they call it romantic poetry. Yeah, falling in love for the first time. Which is still what all the songs are about. Yeah. Yeah. I, You said forever, now I drive alone past your street. <laughs> uh, but boy, I, I know that there are people who have heard that song more than me, but there are not many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Why have you heard that song so many times? Oh, Alice is a massive, oh. massive, massive, okay. massive wow. fan of Driver's License. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It's probably, um. <laughs> it's the best song she's ever heard, but it's also the first time she's ever heard a best song she's ever heard. Mm-hmm. So... It's a pretty intense, it's the same reason why first love stories tend to play pretty well, even after all these millennia. Uh, It's just a pretty, you know. Pretty intense. Falling in love for the first time with a song is intense. Yeah. Yeah. Oren Oren loves music, but his his tastes change change rapidly and vibrantly Mm. and wildly. Just things will do not have anything to do with each other but he picks good music which is great i'm about to get really defensive because if you're implying that driver's license is not great music <laughs> no, I'm, I wasn't. Gonna get, I'm gonna I wasn't. get angry i wasn't okay. in fact one of his favorite songs is a harry styles song um which i'm not saying that those are just like he's also into popular currently popular music I don't know, like, he picks things out. Like, we listen to a lot of music, and then he decides that, like, Honey, Honey by Abba is his favorite. Hmm. It's like, okay, it is. Yeah. Put it on your playlist. He has a playlist, and he calls it My Funny Playlist. Oh, that's good. Um, No, sorry. He calls it My Silly Playlist. Can we listen to My Silly Playlist? Hmm. I like it. And it's adorable. Very cute. John, I have another question for you. It's from Meal, who is Danish, and we're just so good at Danish that I'm not, <laughs> I'm sure I'm doing that great. Uh, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I live in Copenhagen, 
Copenhagen, and I am fortunate enough to have a balcony that I enjoy very much and grow strawberries on. It's a nice little balcony with just enough room to enjoy a cup of coffee or a beer in the summertime. It is apparently nice enough that a family of pigeons have decided to move in. Oh, no. I, however, don't think it's big enough for all of us, and I think that I have the most right to it because I am the one who pays the rent. What do I do? Can I make pigeons pay rent? If not, how can I convince them to move on, not to pastry meal? This is such a problem in cities. I think I've told the story before of the uh, very um, intense romance that played out right outside of our bedroom window when yes. one pigeon fell in love with another yes. pigeon atop our window air conditioning unit in New York City. <laughs> and yes, so I, I can only tell you some of the things that I did to try to make that situation better. First, I took a broomstick and I tied, I sort of tried to make, you know how death carries a uh, thing? Scythe? Yes. I've never known how to say the word, Hank. I can spell it like a magician, but I've never been able to say it. And I'm <laughs> even now I'm not totally confident in your pronunciation. So I'm not, I'm just going to keep going. So Skiffy. I, I took a, I took a broomstick and I, I, I kind of tied a thing to it to make it into one of those uh, things and I sort of scraped the top of the air conditioner and I was like, this is not a place for for you. And that worked for like 30 seconds and they came back and then I would kind of mm -hmm. tap the air conditioner with the broomstick and be like, again, I, this is not this is not an appropriate place for this 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 kind of shenanigans. And uh -huh. again, it would work for a little while. You know what worked um, for forever, though? Moving. Moving to Indianapolis. <laughs> well, I live in Montana. Oh, I still have a, a lot problem. of problems with birds, but they're not right outside my window anymore. Yeah. Yeah, we we they are right outside my window, and they will... It's funny, they're there all year round, but then spring hits, and suddenly they have a lot to say. Yeah. They're, they're talking to each other. They're trying to convince each other that they are the best possible... Look at me, uh, pigeon mate. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna um, make a great family man. But there is so there you is. You can hear hear this noise that I this make. This stuff that we have gotten, and we've put it in the places where they would make their their nests because we didn't want them to keep making nests, and that was the main thing that we wanted to discourage. It's uh, um, holographic tiles, yeah, or what they call scare tape, yeah, and it's like a weird, like they look at it and they can't make sense of it and they don't want to land on it. Right. They're they're like eyes say that's not. Uh, that doesn't make sense. And so you can like, you know, what's put these things down. You know, what sort of works on, on that front CDs. Yes. So, so we actually use CDs. You remember how you used to play music right. by, it was, it was a complicated <laughs> thing, but anyway, we use old CDs to discourage birds from um, hitting the window mm, Yeah, because we, you know, we want, we want birds to have a good long life that doesn't involve you know, dying on my front yeah. doorstep. So we do that, but I, and that sometimes works. Scare tape sometimes works. Some people put up that like anti-pigeon spike yeah, stuff. Yeah, those spikes are so not pretty and kind of like they just look real mean. I mean, they aren't, they aren't, they aren't beautiful. <laughs> I, the main thing, meal, is that you signed off not a pastry, comma, meal, and we don't get that joke. It's a, a meal foil is a kind of pastry, and I know about that because of the bake, the great British, British bake off. Did you almost call it the great British break off? Because <laughs> the great British break off is such a good name for Brexit. 
And how did we make it to 2021? <laughs> Somebody must have made that it joke. The Great British Breakoff. <laughs> I'm going to search Twitter for that joke and we'll find it a thousand times. Great British. <laughs> how do you spell British? No, British. Great, Great British, British Breakoff. It's the best spoonerism of all time. No one has ever said I, the I Great it, Hank. British Breakoff, but I bet I the Great it. British Breakoff uh, renamed Brexit. 424 likes. Um, Damn it. The Great British Breakoff is definitely a suggestion. Dang it. Yeah. Dang it. I thought I'd come up with a joke. Who, who called it Brexit instead of the Great British Breakoff? Uh, 2,000 2, likes in 2019. Oh, no. I'm not even I'm not even in the top five. <laughs> Have you ever done that where you think of uh, something when you're writing? You like think of an idea or, or, or a sentence structure or yeah. a pithy little observation or a uh-huh, pun or uh-huh. something. And then you don't want to be accused of plagiarism, so you Google it to see if anyone else has ever used it. Have you? Ever, do you ever do this? I do, and I have a story about it, but you tell yours first. My story is that about 80% of the time I Google it, I find out that not only am I plagiarizing, I'm plagiarizing me. <laughs> you know, like it'll be like, well, yeah, that's no, perfect, you, yeah, then. that's from, that's from looking for Alaska. It's just that it was 16 years ago, so you don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, my story is that I wanted April to do something really dumb and uh, and, and so be so out of character. <laughs> and I wanted her to tweet about like something really. So so basically, I, I, I wanted her to tweet something that would be indicative of how she was feeling being both a, like this fragile, stupid, pathetic human, which we all are, and how people were imagining her as this like really powerful pundit and then like she wanted to tweet. I wanted her to tweet something about that. And so um, I thought, what if she closes? What if she like does something really dumb and like hurts herself? Like she closes a finger in a door and I was like, that's not funny enough. And so I was like, what if she closes her boob in a door? But I'm a guy. And so I'm like, I don't know. Like maybe it's a sliding glass door. I don't know. Can you close your boob in a door? If I don't know. And so I Google or I, uh, on Twitter, I search close boob in door. And then there's like 30 tweets in a row, all from the last year about people who've closed their boobs indoors. (laughs) And then I, so I put it in the book and my editor doesn't say anything. And my agent doesn't say anything. My wife doesn't say anything. All people with boobs. And then I get, I get, uh, I get, I get on the men writing women subreddit about it. Cause people are like, you can't close your boob in a door. And I'm like, it's all over Twitter. I Googled it. I looked it up. People tweet about it. It's not just April. That's my story. <laughs> That's my story. It's fine. I survived being on the men writing women subreddit. I was going to say, it's probably not the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you. <laughs> yeah. It's also not, right. the, not it's by far not the worst thing on the men writing women subreddit. Yeah. I would, I would also submit that it's probably not like the best moment in the book. <laughs> like, no, it's not, a, not gonna... it's nothing I'm super proud of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so it's, but that's, that. that that's actually the kind of thing that's like the hardest thing in writing is like, how do you how do you stitch together things in a way that feels believable that doesn't pull people out of the story? Mm-hmm. Because if you miss just once, people are pulled so far out. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's yep. hard. Yep. It's hard. Uh, it's a fi- it's a fine line, too, because on the other side of like if you if you hit the wrong side of the line, it's, uh, you know, cringe. But if you hit the right side of the line, it's verisimilitude. Right. So mm-hmm. it's hard. Which reminds me, okay. John, that this podcast is brought to you by 
plagiarizing yourself. <laughs> plagiarizing yourself, it is inevitable eventually. And also, one more sign that we are not who we once were. True. And we all have to leave room to keep growing. Today's podcast also, of course, brought to you by Rancho Gordo Hot Sauce. Mm. Rancho Gordo Hot Sauce coming to Hank's house on or about May 5th. Might be a few days late. Coming to my biscuit. This podcast is also brought to you by Booger Bear. Booger Bear, the name that my dad called me for uh, the first 13 years of my life. Uh, And he can start again. Yes. If he wants. The window is back open. (laughs) It's back open. Uh, And today's podcast is also brought to you by Bifocals. Bifocals. It's a, a great, it's not that they're not a great invention. It's just that I was kind of hoping to be able to buy a little bit more time. <sighs> this episode of Dear Hang Jones brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week. And it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house. And Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. I, I want to ask this question about Irish settlers just because I think it's so weird. Okay. From Robin, who writes, Dear John and Hank, when I was a kid in the 70s, Irish settlers were everywhere. I think that's but a name. I, I think that you may be looking for I think that I you saw. may be looking for Irish setters. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to read the question because I was like, you can't say Irish settlers were everywhere and not say where you are. It didn't make any sense to me. Like, what What do you mean Irish settle? Like settling what? what from what? I didn't, I didn't understand any part of the question. And so I wanted to ask you. Where are all the what Irish do you think settlers the from? And now, and now it's all come into sharp focus. It's not about Irish people people. No. It's about a dog breed. Okay, let's start the question over. When I was a kid in the 70s, Irish setters were everywhere. But now I can't even remember the last time I saw an Irish setter. So it's been so long that John forgot they existed yeah. and assumed that I just put an L into that reading. Where, where did they all go, Robin? Well, they died, Robin. I mean, how long do you think dogs live? Um, I just Googled this and there and Hal Herzog, PhD, has written an article in Psychology Today oh, wow. 
called The Great Irish Setter Epidemic of 1963. Dog breed Whoa. fads share some surprising commonality with viral epidemics. No way. Yeah. It's a real article. Wow. Um, Irish setter popularity in 1964 baseline um, in, in 2003, same as 1964, um, at like less than 2,000 uh setters okay um by 1973 so from six, 64 to 73 it was up to 60,000 1982 it was back down below 2000 whoa so you have identified something this is remarkable that i would never have thought of robin that like there was an irish setter epidemic we decided that they were a real good dog and then we changed our minds yeah. Can you imagine all the people who like got into the Irish setter business and then suddenly it was just gone? I'm not, I have to say I'm not as concerned about them, <laughs> but I am. I, but yeah, no, the dogs themselves. Uh, yeah. Hank, here's my question. Why? Mm. Not, why? Not why did Irish setters become a phenomenon in the 1970s, although that is an interesting question. My question is, why did they stop being a phenomenon? Like, right. Because they're... A healthy dog. Now that I'm looking at a picture of an Irish setter and I understand the question that Robin was asking, two essential, yep. really essential things <laughs> for being able to get to the bottom of this. I think our grandfather had an Irish setter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at this dog and I'm having a memory of childhood that Papa had like a hunting dog. I Didn't Papa have like 17 dogs named Harris? That is correct. They were. I feel named, like one of the Harrises. Harris. Looking at this, looking at this dog, I think one of the Harrises, an early Harris, was mm -hmm. a dog like this. They're cute, and I remember from what I could remember, it was a nice dog. Yeah, well, and so so this article is actually very like super interesting. It talks, and it's also comparing Irish setters to Old Town Road by Lil Nas X because, like, well, the, the, another phenomenon that will never end. And but it also compares Irish setters to Labrador retrievers, which have had a had a much more gradual but sustained growth in popularity, and now mm. are one of the most popular dogs. And over one hundred and sixty thousand yeah. of them are registered a year, which is beyond where Irish setters ever were. Mm. Though at the, their peak of the popularity, setters were above Labrador retrievers. So, it, but it but the other thing is like my my first instinct is like, well, maybe they weren't that good of a dog. But looking, it appears that they are just as good. Like they 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 don't have any health problems that labs don't have. They're they don't have any behavioral problems that labs don't have. It is it is just an accident of history. Wow. It is true in general that it is better to grow slowly than it is to explode in growth. Yeah. Not just for, although I think Lil Nas yeah. X actually bucks this trend because I think Lil Nas X has, has done a yes, great I job just of uh, reinventing himself, using using that moment to to put himself in a position where he can keep making music mm -hmm. and, and make really good music. And content generally. Yeah. His TikTok is also great. Yes. But, but in general, it is, it's, it's both like less fun I feel like I can, I feel like I can, I, I don't know what it's like to release Old Town Road, but, but I do know, I do know what it's like to have a book that grows slowly and then grows very, very quickly. And it is scarier 
to have a book that is growing really, really quickly. And also the other side of the mountain is also steeper, just like the way up the mountain was steeper. The other side of the mountain tends to be steeper. Mm -hmm. And now that I know that this happened to the Irish setter, I kind of feel like I should get an Irish setter. I yeah. I am looking to hunt more upland game birds, <laughs> and <laughs> that's what I always expect. And they from are you. a tireless, wide ranging hunter. Maybe that's the issue: is that they're tireless. I like dogs that get tired very easily. <laughs> yeah, that's my preferred my preferred vi- dog vibe is like I have been on a walk, and now I would like to sleep until the next walk. Yeah, I want I want to see you. Model some behavior that I need to feel better about engaging in. Yeah, totally. Like, exactly. I need my dog to relax so that I can feel better about relaxing. Right. The last thing Hank needs is a tireless dog because he already is a tireless dog. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I mean, they're not. I had no idea this question would be so interesting. Well, I I mean, I had no idea the question was the question. So (laughs) we're both living in a surprise future. I can't wait for like a dog breed Irish expert settlers. to email us a 72 paragraph explanation of right. why the Irish set her decline in popularity that we can read for the entire episode of next week's podcast. <laughs> I mean, I feel I'm like I'm not the kidding, Irish, by the way. I, I would like, love to know I feel like if there's this would a reason. Be a podcast like the Irish setter epidemic would be a great podcast. Just like go investigative on it. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad topic for the Anthropocene reviewed, you know, Irish setters. I have a I have a personal connection to the Irish setter through They're, my grandfather. I yeah. think I'd have to pursue that a little ask, bit. I'm a little somebody, nervous yeah. now that I've looked at more pictures of Irish setters that that uh, Harris may have been as some kind of mutt. Yeah, which doesn't help me narratively at all. But now, what I will say is they look like a little bit uh, hairier than than your average yeah retriever. And so yeah. that's that's extra that's extra work because like you don't want as many hairs. And also in an age of lots of dog allergies, maybe like the least hypoallergenic dog is not the most desirable dog. Yeah. That said, I think it's an opportunity to go deep, which is what I like to do in the Anthropocene Reviewed, which, by the way, comes out May 18th and is available now as a ebook book or audiobook narrated by me. What if, John, the next we could be in charge of the next new dog breed because we're going to invent the golden retreader? Oh, it's such a good idea. It's such a good idea. Because they love that. I don't know why they love that, but they love that. I think you've just stumbled onto a a million dollar idea, Hank. What if a golden retriever had longer Mm -hmm. hair? Because that is what is missing from a golden retriever. Like cuter, longer hair. It's like, what Mm -hmm. if it had more hair? More if it was, I don't know. I, I feel like people like the oodles. So if it was if it was Irish satoodle, an Irish satoodle, I'm already interested. <laughs> like, if there's anything I know, it's that we need to breed more dogs. Every, we need everybody more thinks highly <laughs> specific, ideally copyrighted oh and God. trademarked dog breeds. That's what American capitalism mm-hmm. is missing. I've been saying it for years. Where are we coming up short in the creation of new dog breeds over and over and over again? I hear about the Irish setter. I hear about the English bulldog. What about the American (laughs) setter doodle? Someone else has suggested. I'm very, I'm so happy with that joke. I like. Between that and the Great British Breakoff, I I feel like I feel like I can retire. Yeah, well, I don't, like honestly, I don't think that we're going to get better than Irish Settler. 
<laughs> it's true. My best joke of the day was uh, <laughs> it's just a pure mistake. Oh, God. oh boy. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Rosa, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I introduced my cat to my neighbor today, and I told my neighbor that my cat's name is Malcolm. He then proceeded to refer to him as Monkey for the rest of our conversation. Now, at first, I thought it was an affectionate nickname, so I didn't pay any attention. But then after about 10 minutes of chatting, it dawned on me that he thought Malcolm's actual name was Monkey. So do I correct him, or have I passed the point of no return, and now I have to call my cat Monkey whenever I'm in my neighbor's presence to avoid devastating embarrassment, sending mild anxiety from England? (laughs) Rosa. It is England's like number one export. (laughs) I mean, the 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 great British mild anxiety is is also uh is also a a good name for Brexit, which is just like you guys weren't that worried. Yeah, the great British. You were a little bit worried and you created a huge problem. Yeah. I mean, the great, the great British, the great British mild anxiety is also a pretty good name for the great British bake-off because like it creates <laughs> yeah. the whole thing, the whole it's way the reality show work of is they create I tension want. and then resolve it. Yeah. But the uh-huh. wonderful thing about the great British bake-off is that it creates the mildest possible tension. It gives you right. the lowest imaginable stakes. You know that everyone is going to be fine if they don't win the great British bake-off. Nobody's on the edge of either celebrity or catastrophic failure if they don't win the Great British Bake Off. They're just trying to bake a cake. Yeah, that's an amazing moment in the Celebrity Bake Off uh, with James Acaster. Uh, Paul Hollywood or whoever asked, like, what happened here? And he said, started making it, had a breakdown, bon appetit. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, yes, you've put it, you put it all in perspective. This is... (laughs) And that's essentially like every episode of the show. Yeah. yeah. And also like many of the days of my life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But but all, yeah, it always ends with bon appetit one way or the other. Yeah. But onto this yeah. Malcolm Monkey business, I think that Rosa has missed the obvious solution, which is just flat out changing Malcolm's name to Monkey, which is a phenomenal. They're both really good names, but I think Monkey sure. might be even a better cat name than Malcolm. Well, OK, more important than that. You can call a cat whatever you want, and and we do. <laughs> like no one, no one I know calls their cat their name every time. Right? They call their na- cat their name sometimes. Yeah. But then you got like Cameo was named like Camioodle and Camoodle and right. K- Cammers and Cam Cam and Kitty and like ev- ev- you know she doesn't know what her name is. She's a cat. I mean, I think she did a little bit. Um, but mostly her name is like pss, pss, pss. like if you. That's how cats work. Right. So. That like you, I mean, I think that you can call Malcolm Monkey in some situations, and maybe sometimes you'll end up calling Malcolm Monkey in other situations, even when your neighbor isn't around. I think that's the right way to uh, treat this: is to treat it yeah. as a gift. If this was it, your neighbor has offered you a new yeah. pet name for a Malcolm, and yeah. that is a wonderful yeah. gift. Instead of being like, "What am I going to do with this anxiety?" <laughs> yeah, if, if this was a dog, you'd have to do it different, or a child, because like they they can't care what their names are, but cats don't care. I think I think that's exactly it. I think you see this as a gift that your neighbor has given you. Now your cat has two names and you've got a lovely new pet name for your cat and that's that's the situation. And and if you ever call the cat Malcolm in front of your neighbor, you can also you can be like, "Oh yeah, no, Malcolm's my nickname for Monkey." 
It's a built-in solution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Problem solved. John, do you want to yep. do the Mars from News from ABG? Well, yeah, let's do it. Let's do the Mars from News in AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> or as some people like to call it, the news from Irish settling in the 1970s. <laughs> so many Irish. I can't believe I got that. Down. That's such a such a big it's such a big error from one letter it's, yeah, it's such a one letter it really changes the meaning of that sentence and uh, because uh, you know because we are of irish descent i was also going to be a little defense i was feeling a little defensive you know yeah like like so well more like more like i'm not sure that's the right way to describe the irish diaspora <laughs> In the 1970s, the great 1970s. Right, I which I know so much about as I was not alive <laughs> for most of it. The news from AFC Wimbledon, America's favorite third-tier English soccer team. It could be better, but it could certainly be worse. After winning four straight games uh -huh. for the first time in five long years, wow. AFC Wimbledon had a nil-nil oh, draw good. against Ipswich Town. That's great. Now... It was a pretty good result. We were away from home. Ipswich is pretty high up the table. Uh -huh. And I mean, we were better, I think. They did hit the post once, but I thought we were better. Like we had a lot of chances. Ayubasol uh, continues to be a, a problem that no League One team can figure out how to solve. <laughs> and he was one on one with the keeper a couple times, and we just got unlucky. But it is one more point on our journey to hopeful safety. <laughs> the, to, the, the, to the skin of your teeth being quite thick enough. Oh my gosh, this is, it's been, it's been very stressful, but I'll tell you what, if we hadn't won four straight games and then tied one, it would have been much more stressful. Well, but also, you know what we is also stressful though? We points clear of the relegation zone and yeah. we play Rochdale uh, tomorrow as I'm recording this in the past, as you're hearing it, if we win that game, we're safe. Yeah. If we tie that game, we're probably safe. Yeah. But I'd rather just win it mm -hmm. because one thing I have not experienced, Hank, yeah. in almost three years is watching an AFC Wimbledon game while being certain that we will not be relegated that season. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> yeah, because the last season was cut short yeah. due to COVID. Uh -huh. And when it was cut short, we were very close to relegation. Yep. And the season before that, we didn't achieve survival until the final day. So just being able to watch one game without worrying about relegation would, be, would nice. be really, really lovely. Really lovely. I mean, the frustrating thing is that like you and the five teams just beneath you the, have basically the last two games the exact same result. And so none of you pulled away from anybody else. Yeah. Oh, it's very it's very tense and tight down there at the bottom. And obviously, my heart breaks for the four teams that will be relegated. But also, obviously, I don't want it to be us. Yeah. So which will definitely include we can get something against Rochdale. Good old uh, good old Swindon. I will be town. watching nervously. It's wild that Swindon is your other team yeah. from back in the day. If anybody remembers the Swindon Hoopers. There's a different world in which instead of sponsoring AFC Wimbledon for the last nine years, we sponsor Swindon Town. Um, but I wish Swindon well, but they're they're pretty much they're gone. They're gone. They're they're yeah, they're, they're relegated. They're so there's yeah. not much they can do. Yep. Um, but there is still something that Rochdale can do, and they know it. And so there's a lot to play for. 
and hopefully we can get a point or two from our next three games and have another season of third tier football. But this time, ideally, with fans in the new Plow Lane Stadium. Well, News from Mars, John Ingenuity continues to do all the good Ingenuity things. Took its third flight, flew 100. So the first uh, first flight, it just went up and down. And that took, like, less than a minute. The second flight, it went up and, like, moved a bit. Moved 13 feet and then went back down. That was also less than a minute. But now, it's flown up yeah. and then flew 164 feet with a top speed of 6 feet per second, which is... Uh, wow, that feels that's fast. The, uh, that's faster than it ever went on Earth. Um, so that's good. The cameras, uh, so it has cameras. It's not just flying around. It's also taking video and taking pictures. And part of the testing of the helicopter is testing that the computer is able to follow the flight instructions that, that they've sent to it, while also running algorithms to control the camera over long distances. So, like, they're not mm. telling the camera what to do. The camera is telling itself what to do mm-hmm. so that it can send back good pictures and good mm-hmm. video. So the results of these first flights have been very exciting for the helicopter's ability to, it can clearly both fly and take pictures, giving us uh, more to look forward to as Ingenuity continues its its mission. Now, it's not meant to be a long mission, but it is meant to uh, allow us to watch a, like, you know, sort of drone video of Mars, which is just very cool. And we haven't gotten any of that as of the recording of this. We've just gotten pictures um, from the onboard cameras. Uh, no video of, of the drone flying. Got that slow Mars internet to deal with. Yeah, it takes, engineers got to send it to, over to Perseverance, then Perseverance has to send it up to a satellite, then the satellite has to send it back to us. It's a whole thing. Yeah, Hank, I want you to know that I just looked it up. I did not know, six feet per second sounded pretty fast to me. Uh-huh. I was like, man, that that thing was moving. It moved six feet per second. But then I looked it up, it's just four miles an hour. So... <laughs> I it in the future I'm gonna be like in the future I'm gonna say things like uh, oh I walked six feet per second for five miles today right <laughs> that's that's wild it's uh, six feet per second sounds like pretty fast yeah it turns out there's a lot of feet in a mile yeah and it turns out uh, a second isn't that quick no wow also we're pretty big well I don't know that's just what Google tells me I might I might be wrong no you're right I looked it up too oh great. Hey, I checked you. Oh, good. I, I appreciate the quick fact checking. Not on any Irish setter facts or anything else, but on that one mathematical calculation that Google made for us. Yeah. Next time people ask me how many, like how fast my car goes, I'm going to be like, it goes, it goes 100 feet per second. Yeah. Like, I mean, it pro- probably goes even faster than that, I would imagine. <laughs> if I'm, if, not, not when I'm driving it. <laughs> <laughs> Almost every day. When I'm driving, I think about when I was like 16 or 17 years old, I was driving with my friend Chip and I was like, why don't you drive faster? And he was like, because where do we need to be? (laughs) And that was not how my friends thought about it. No, not how my other friends thought about it either. But like, it's such a good way of approaching travel. Yeah. Like, where do I need to be? And it just slows you down a little bit because, mm. like, when you get in a car and you feel like frantic, you don't drive well. No, you don't want to feel so that way. And so I try to remind myself, like, I, I, I don't need to be anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm not rushing to a hospital. Yeah, like it's going to be okay. 
let's drive defensively and slowly and try to make it to the next day. Mm-hmm. That's your weekly uh, little bit of road safety advice from your favorite road safety podcast. Do not look at your cell phone, please. That's, that's actually the biggest one. That's a big one. Don't <laughs> look at your cell really phone. you really need to hear. Just wait. Wait, it's what humans are best at. Uh, John, thank you for making a podcast with me. We're off to record our Patreon-only podcast this weekend stuff. And you can get that podcast if you become a patron at patreon.com slash John, which uh, helps us fund Crash Course and SciShow and all the other work that Complexly does. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Editorial assistant is Tabuki Trakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.